surface. Not always, but sometimes I fall in that trap, especially if I got other things on my mind, competing priorities for my day. I'm like, okay, I just I like the surface stuff, but I, I don't have time for deeper things right now. I want to be careful about that. You know, um, my wife wants a swimming pool. And uh, I'm sure she'll end up getting one somewhere along the way. So we'll just see. I bought her a little kitty one, but I think that was more for Elijah than it was for her. But uh, anyway, um, it's funny. I'd go skiing and tubing. When we lived in Arkansas, we had a friend that had a boat on the lake, and so we would go out and we'd go tubing and skiing and have a blast. Thank God I'm alive to talk about it. I'll tell you a scary story. One time I was on a tube between my friend, Brother Whitley, and my other friend, Brother Mahaney, and uh, I was the smallest of the three, I promise you. And uh, uh, they both were better than 250 at the time. And they put me in the middle because otherwise the tube wouldn't be balanced as we're getting pulled. And if you've ever gone tubing, you know that the idea of the guy driving the boat gets you going out, right, and then brings you back across. So uh, if you're in the middle <laughs> between two guys that are 250 plus, yeah, <laughs> amen. I didn't worry about that I was going off the tube. What concerned me is that that thing was flipping over, and if so, I was stuck in the middle, and I wasn't sure that I'd float. <laughs> Amen. But there was a toe. There was something pulling us. I, I say that to say this. You know, sometimes you think, what in the world's that got to do with the undertow? You know, my wife wants a pool, but she doesn't like getting out in the lake, and she really doesn't like swimming out in the ocean. She makes a statement to me. She says, I want to know where the bottom is. <laughs> Somebody else said, I agree. You know, I, I dove off of a log one time. It was actually a tree that went up. We were canoeing on a river. And um, I climbed up it. And it, it sort of had some spring to it the way it went out over the river. I don't know how far it was up, maybe 10, 12 feet. Were you with me that day? Maybe. Maybe I was younger than I thought. And uh, I climbed up on this. It was maybe 10 or 12 feet above the river. And, you know, you get a little spring out there on the end. I wouldn't dare try that today. I'd slip off or something right now. But you get a little spring out there on the end of that limb that went out or that tree that went out. And you get the right spring, then you just go off and you go down in the river. Well, you, you did not go in head first. You knew that because you knew the river wasn't deep enough to go in head first. Matter of fact, you knew the river wasn't as deep as you were high. So if you know physics, that's probably not a good idea. But, you know, you're young. And so I remember jumping off of that and going in. And as soon as you get in, curling your body up and trying to roll to your back so that you... And just you hit the mud at the bottom, just sort of sink down in the mud a little bit and then shake yourself off and come back up. You know, when you're swimming in the lake, at least the lake I was in before, 
I went down and I, I couldn't find bottom. And in the ocean, I've been in the ocean before. Where I've got far enough out and I've stepped off. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And the bottom wasn't there anymore. And uh, now I knew the waves could bring me back to shore. But uh, there's a little something unnerving when you step into where you can't feel the bottom. You know, the deep things of God, I'm pretty sure you won't be able to feel the bottom. And sometimes in our spiritual walk, we want kiddie pools because at least we can feel the bottom. I can be in control, but the deep things make me nervous because I don't understand. Well, we don't go blindly. We have guidelines. We have the Word of God. But there is an undertow of the Spirit. It's inviting us to deeper things still. But if you're content with a kiddie pool, this is not the thought today this is just where my spirit is in case you ever wonder what's going through my head when I'm over there <laughs> I just feel an undertow of the spirit and an invitation an invitation and so I think it was the prophet Ezekiel maybe that talked about the vision where he walked out in and it was waters up to the ankle then it was waters up to the knee and then it was waters up and then finally it was waters to swim in he was talking about the depths of the Spirit of God. There's a place to go. And the Lord would invite us to go there and invite you to go there. Amen. It's good to be here today. I feel the presence of the Lord in a rich way, and I'm thankful for that. You've got to be careful. Sometimes you expect the presence of God to always feel the same. You sort of want the same feeling and so we just become sensitive to the voice and the Spirit of God, I would hope, through prayer and waiting on Him. Amen. Um, before I dismiss the teachers and stuff, I'd like us to pray together this morning. We have, um, uh, I think some are aware, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail this morning, uh, but the last few weeks we have had multiple families that have dealt with loss of family members acquaintances from uh, from Martin a few weeks ago to um, some of you know Ollie and Valerie that have been coming a little bit, but you haven't seen them for a couple of weeks. His father passed away suddenly a week and a half ago. Um, Sister Priscilla lost her grandmother uh, just this past week. Um, the Rioja Sanchez family just lost a nephew, cousin, this Friday night. Um, we know that these things are a course of life. But they can be painful seasons at times. And God is faithful. Amen. And God will use that. And so I bring these families to you today. We're just going to stay right where we are. I'm not going to put them all on the spot by having everybody go gather around them or anything like that. But the scripture says when one rejoices, we rejoice. And when one weeps, we all weep. 
And so I would like us today to pray together for these families. And I want us to pray the ministry of the Spirit of God to them and the work of the Spirit of God in the midst of all of this. Could we do that right now? Would you lend yourself to praying for your brother and your sister and the Spirit of the Lord ministering? We don't, we don't have the words, God, but you do. We don't have answers in our human understanding, but you are sovereign and holy and just. And so today we agree together. We pray the prayer of peace. Your peace that surpasses our understanding. You are the Prince of Peace. I pray, Father, let your spirit and your word come to your people. Let the peace of God wrap about them and let the assurance of God minister to them. According to your will and your knowledge, Lord, I pray that you would send angels of ministry to each life, Lord, to accomplish your desired end. You know the frame of every man and woman walking through this season of life. And so I pray the ministry of your spirit to their frame. I pray the assurance of your word that you can bring in a moment that gives hope and peace and assurance and comfort. We trust in you. I pray the ministry of the spirit of God. We bear them up together. Together, Lord. In Jesus' name. Order their steps in these days ahead. Order their words in these days ahead. Order their thoughts in these days ahead. And show yourself strong. I pray, show yourself strong on their behalf. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. I would dismiss teachers to their classrooms. God bless our teachers. Appreciate all they're doing. Let me um, remind you that starting tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the 11th, 12th, and the 13th, is that right? Yeah. The 11th, 12th, and the 13th, we will start out this week with three days of focused prayer and fasting. We're asking you to consider setting those days aside and waiting on the Lord for what He's doing. And He is working. He is working, as was said at the outset. And uh, I want to be in full alignment with what He's doing. Don't you? Amen. I want to be in alignment. And I don't just want to be in alignment. I want to be involved. I want to be involved. I want to be a part. I want to participate in the work of the kingdom. Amen? Praise God. We'll dismiss children uh, from 2 to 12. We now have four classes down there, so we pray God minister to our kids. Amen. That opens up the MVP seats, or at least elbow room. Praise God. Praise God.
it's always fun watching them all hit the stairs right there. You all don't get to see that. I get to see that, and they're sort of like a bottleneck right at the stairs. I have this picture in my mind one day that somebody's going to push. We're waiting on some to get back in here. I remember one time in class years ago, our oldest was a little boy still. Somebody in class bit him in Sunday school class. Bit him on the arm, I think it was. Uh, pretty good, left a pretty good mark on him. And uh, anyway, my wife and the lady, the mother of the little boy, my wife and that mom were really good friends, so uh, that's a good thing. You know, people say they can't get offended till something happens to their kid, and then offense can rise up. So parents, guard your spirit. Don't let a little thing... Don't let a little thing bring offense. Amen? And so, you know, we could have got all hot and bothered and been like, I ain't never sending my kid to class again. I can't believe they don't teach their kid, yada, 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 whatever. You know, you can get, you can get worked up over some stuff, and you gotta got to step back and go, hold on a minute. Kids will be kids. Kids will be kids. And uh, I got my kids. I'll raise mine. I won't try to raise somebody else's. Everybody said amen. amen. I'll raise mine, and uh, I'll answer to the Lord for how I raised mine, and you'll answer to the Lord for how you raised yours. But I won't try to raise your kids. Amen. I had a pastor when I was younger. He was wise. He helped me. He said, Brother Hart, you can teach people things from the word about their children, but you can't raise people's children. It was one of the wisest things I ever held. It helped me so much. I never felt pressure to do that. And so, just a little wisdom there. Amen. But I remember this kid biting our son. And then the little boy stayed at our house a few days later. I don't know if it was related to the bite or not, but they were at the top of the stairs in our house. And I don't know if that bite came back into my boy's mind or what, but he just... (laughs) That other little boy just tumbled down the stairs. A dear friend of mine that lives in Florida now, he's like, oh, he was getting him back. I guarantee it. <laughs> he was sure it was. He thought it was funny. I do now, but then I, amen. So things that, seeing kids go down those stairs. <laughs> For those that are walking back in and wondering what that had to do with anything, I'm just, I am, I don't always have it happen this way, but the Lord, I felt like, spoke two very distinct things to me today that unless he changes direction, I'll minister in the two services. And I was certain of which was for this service. I felt so strongly about it, the way the Lord was dealing with me. But as we were worshiping the Lord, I felt like the Lord said, no, it's the other way around. And so I'm not trying to make all this, I'm not trying to figure this out. Um, I just want the Lord to talk to us. Don't you? Let's go with me to the book of Ezra. 
I look back over. If Ezra was up here right now, I'm sure he'd have something to say. Amen. You have to listen to this online and know we think we're talking about him. The book of Ezra, right after First and Second Chronicles. Just, just be there. I wanted to give you, let you find it because we're not going to read just yet. But I wanted to give you a little background, and then we'll go forward. Ezra is a. Um, Ezra is really a beautiful place in Scripture to me. If you look at it, Ezra tells the story in the this. It's a, it's a fairly short book, really. Uh, I don't know what ten, eleven chapters, ten chapters. Fairly short book. And Ezra, in this book, it is the Jews returning, or at least some of the Jews that were exiled, returning back to Jerusalem. Babylon had come under Nebuchadnezzar and had destroyed Jerusalem, the temple, and taken the Israelites captive. And Ezra was one that was returning back, that was... And he notes these things. It was he that led them from the captivity of Babylon back into, or at least one of, that was there when they returned to Jerusalem. And they found Jerusalem in heaps, and the temple was torn down. There wasn't really much left. Matter of fact, the foundation was even in shambles. And, and so it was this Ezra, and Ezra, Ezra had some responsibilities, and you know, we talked last week briefly at the close, but it just kept stirring in my spirit. Let the Lord, the Lord, I feel like, let me know He's doing some things here. We talked about restoration and the restoring of things and the restoring of years from the Book of Joel, and and I, I believe there is a restorative work taking place in the body of Christ. Now, this can happen individually in terms of things that maybe we've been robbed of or where we've been in captivity and the Lord has to heal and restore. But I believe on a broader scale that what's taking place right now in the earth is there is a restoration of the body of Christ to its fullness and its intended function in the earth. And so we find Ezra here leading the Jews back into Jerusalem, rebuilding of the temple, and it's interesting, when you look at this, we find also that Ezra was responsible along with Nehemiah. I think it's in Nehemiah 5 or 6. You can read it and see Ezra's name there. Maybe Nehemiah 8, but I think 5 or 6. Anyway, we find that Ezra is also along with Nehemiah. He is responsible for restoring the Word of God and its proper place back in Israel. The, we see it in the book of Ezra. We see it referred to as the word of the Lord. We see it referred to as the law of Moses. And so Ezra is responsible for this. He is, matter of fact, in the book of Nehemiah, you find Ezra standing up on a pulpit or podium or a platform. The scripture says he stood above the people. It was there that he opened the word of God, and Ezra began to read the word to the children of Israel from the morning until midday, the Bible says. And when he stood, they all stood. You can read it, Nehemiah. And he read the word of the Lord from morning until midday. And so this is Ezra. I want you to see a picture of this book without us reading all ten chapters together and seeing some of the things that tie into it. And so here's Ezra. Israel has been in bondage. They have 
lived in Babylonian captivity for some time, but there is a longing and there are generations there. There are generations that had seen Jerusalem in its glory and there are generations that have heard about it but never seen it. And, and there's a longing from some to return back to where they're from and to see the glory of the Lord come again upon the children of Israel. There's a hunger and a longing. I'm telling you, there's a longing in my spirit for the full and complete restoration of the church, the body of Christ in the earth, the way we're meant to be living and working and walking in this day and hour. And so Ezra is called upon by the Spirit of God to be a critical part and peace in this. And so here he is, and there's this longing of Israel to get back to Jerusalem, the place they belong, and to they understand to go back and to rebuild the city. Before there is any building of a city, there must be a building of the temple. Their first interest is not going back and building their house. Their first interest is going back and building the house of the Lord. If you and I want a life that's restored... If you and I want a life that is to the fullness that God intends to operate in and with us and through us, our first priority has to be the building of the temple. It was referenced by Brother Ethan and Brother Reuben. They became indicators to me of why I knew the Lord was taking me this direction right now that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. If we were this morning to individually, and obviously we're not going to do this, but perhaps the Spirit of the Lord and the light of His Word would do so here as we sit under the sound of His Word. Perhaps he would come and shine the light of his word and spirit on mine and your life individually and collectively. What does the temple look like? What's the condition of the temple? Is it filled with the glory of the Lord? Is it in disrepair? Is it broken in places? Is it, what's the condition of the temple? And so Israel understood by the leadership of Ezra and others, we've got to rebuild the temple for the glory of the Lord to ever come back to us as a people. We've got to care for the temple. We've got to care for the temple. So this is, this is Ezra. This is this one. Matter of fact, Ezra is, um, most people believe it's Ezra that's responsible for putting the Old Testament scriptures in order, putting the books of the Old Testament scriptures in order. Most, almost all, if not all, give Ezra credit for writing the 119th Psalm. It's the longest psalm, of course, in scripture, the longest chapter in the Bible. It is the 119th Psalm that in every verse makes some reference to the word of the Lord. Ezra had a love for the word of the Lord. This is Ezra. So I want you to have this background and understand what he's under the inspiration of the Spirit of God embarking on. He is going back in to Jerusalem to rebuild. 
Ezra chapter 3, and we can learn from this if we need areas rebuilt in our life and our relationship with God, we can learn from Ezra's example. Ezra chapter 3, starting with verse number 1, says, And then when the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Sounds like unity. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and his brethren. Watch and notice right here. And builded the altar of the God of Israel. Why don't you say that with me? They built an altar. They built an altar. Now, I gave you the context of what we're dealing with. They builded the altar of the God of Israel. Why did they build the altar? To offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written, in the law of Moses, the man of God. Now they're referencing the word of God. The word of God is why they're building an altar. Ezra brought them back to the word of God when they read it and they're getting ready to rebuild the temple and rebuild Jerusalem. This is the beginning. They realize in the reading of the word of God, if we're going to begin to rebuild, we first need to build the altar of the Lord. The first thing we must build if there's going to be restoration in broken down places is an altar. Now watch. We built it. And they set the altar upon his bases. Why did they do this? Because fear was upon them. Because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord. Even burnt offerings morning and evening. It sounds like they're pretty committed. They kept also the Feast of Tabernacles, it is written. Now, you see this statement again, as it is written. They are following the word of God. It's guiding them. And they offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the custom as the duty of every day required. And afterward, they offered continual burnt offering, both of the new moons and of all of the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated and of everyone that willingly offered a freewill offering unto the Lord. Now, we just read through that, and that's a lot. Sometimes when you read, if you're reading your daily Bible reading, you can read right over those five verses like, okay, they did a lot. But again, you have context now about what we're seeing. They've come back. They're back here in Jerusalem. They're going to start rebuilding. They're going to start rebuilding the temple. But the first thing they do is they build this altar. Now, they don't just build the altar and go, okay, what do we build next? They build the altar according to the word of the Lord, and then they begin to use the altar before they carry on with building. See, sometimes we just want God to do this quick work. Lord, here I am, just fix this stuff that's broken. And he will, and he does, and he reaches in in mercy and love. But we see a pattern here. We have to build an altar. Not just build it and go, okay, I got the altar built. Now what's next? Oh, no. There's some things that got to go on the altar. The word of the Lord requires some things 
in order for restoration and rebuilding. And so we see it here. They offered burnt offerings and then they offered it. When did they do it? They did it in the morning. Then they did it in the evening. And they didn't stop there. They offered daily offerings, daily offerings according to the word of the Lord. They had. And so this is a continual sacrifice. And then it goes from that to, oh, we all, not only did that, we had the Feast of Tabernacles. And you can read about that back in Leviticus and stuff and see all the different offerings with that. And then they offered these continual daily offerings. So we got more. And the new moons and... Well, what? I thought we were here to rebuild. I thought we were here to restore stuff. Oh, we are. But first, we got to get things right at this altar. Before we move to any more restoration, there's some of you, you're wanting to press past some things and just say, God, fix this in my life. Fix that in my life. And the Lord is saying, I can't move into that area until you get this altar established and get some stuff on it. Not just once and then hope that fixes it, but morning and evening and day after day and day after day and day after day. And oh, by the way, not just what I'm asking for. Notice what they did that we see here in verse number five. They went beyond what was being asked for. They went beyond what was required. They went beyond what was established. And here we step into now we've got some things of our own free will that we're placing on the altar. I don't want to hold anything back that would keep God from rebuilding and restoring in my life the apostolic authority and anointing that I want to walk in. I don't want to. And so there comes something where I give what I'm supposed to. I give what the word directs me. I give what. But then there's something that will happen to a spirit-filled child of God that says, I'm interested in walking in the deep things of God. I'm interested in walking in apostolic authority and dominion the way I read it in the word. And so therefore, I'm not just going to put the minimum upon the altar. I've got some free will things that I'm taking. Some things maybe I've been holding on to. Oh, but the word, what does the word say? Well, the word doesn't say anything about that. But there's such a hunger in my soul for a rebuilding and a restoration of all things that I'm going to lay it on the altar. The word comes to my mind when Jesus said of John the Baptist, He will restore all things. Hear me. The dimension of restoration begins with the dimension of sacrifice. What you and I are willing to lay on the altar has a direct proportionate effect to the restoration of all that God orders and will do in our lives. You can't build the temple if you don't first restore the altar. You want to see this? Why? Let's go to the next verse, verse 6. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord. But what? But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. I'm going to tell you. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But you can't even have a foundation in the temple without an altar. The altar comes before the foundation. 
You understand the altar in the Old Testament tabernacle that Moses built under the instruction of the Lord, and the Lord said, you build it exactly as I showed you in the mount. It started with an altar. And the altar wasn't even inside the temple. The altar is where every part of mine and your relationship with God starts. The altar is where everything in our life related to God comes from. The fire that's on the altar affects every other element of our life. And if there is no sacrifice, there is no fire on the altar. And you and I are called to be that sacrifice. But there is these questions that come to us sometimes. How come I'm not seeing, like, I hear about this, but I want to see this added to my life. I want to see this in my life. I'm trying to get some things restored and fixed in my life. I'm going to tell you, more often than not, it's because of what you're withholding from an altar. you got to be willing to put things there. we got to be willing to lay things there. Before the foundation of the temple was even laid, they had spent all this time sacrificing at the altar. Why? I thought they were there to build. They were. But we read it. We passed over it there. Because of the fear of the enemies in the countries round about. Remember that? Verse 3, I think it was. They understood. If we go at this in our own effort and our own ability building, we will never be successful. Because the enemy will come and destroy the work that we're doing again. But if we get the altar and we consecrate this place and we get stuff on the altar unto the Lord, the Lord, he will fight for us. The Lord, he will be our defense. The Lord, he will be our shield. So before we get too far ahead and trying to get everything built, let's get the altar right. Let's get the altar right. Let's get things on the altar in relationship with God. I hear the beckoning of the Lord calling to us, the church, saying, I got things I'm going to set in place. I've got things I'm restoring in apostolic authority and dominion. But I need the whole church to be willing to get their whole life on the altar. We sang the song before. I don't know that we sang it today. Withholding nothing. I give myself away so you can you Withholding nothing. What is it that you and I are withholding? Someone once said, oh, I could give that up without a problem. And then the, the question comes, then why don't you? It's not so much what we hold on to. It's what has a hold on us. And it's that which keeps the temple from being built in the fullness that he intends. Ezra understood this because of the word of the Lord. Now they did this and they built. And then they laid the foundation. It's beautiful when you... Read at the end of chapter 3. It's both beautiful and it's heartbreaking. Verse 10. Skip down to verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, the king of Israel. 
And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he's good. His mercy endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Get that? They're all worshiping, praising God, shouting. Why? Because the temple's done? Nope. We got a foundation now. See, we just want to move so fast sometimes that we don't allow the Spirit of God to work in our life and establish some things so that He can be glorified in our lives the way He wants to be glorified. So they're shouting, they're worshiping God. But, but watch this, verse 12. Many of the priests and Levites and chiefs of the fathers who were ancient men, that means they were old, they're They had seen the first house. They'd seen it before the destruction came. When the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice. And many shouted with joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people for the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard far off why were the ancient men weeping they had seen the house before. I believe they were perhaps seeing that which had been lost, not only because it was now gone, but no doubt considering what had been lost through the years because it had not been there. And so they're weeping. The other generation filled with excitement. You need the weeping and you need the rejoicing. You need the reaping and you need the rejoicing. We need the elder and we need the younger. We need those that have seen the glory and those that are reaching for the glory. But don't discount one over the other. Together, there became a great shout. Now, Go to Ezra chapter 9, in case you thought we were going to read the whole book. So this is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful work that God is doing. This is a restorative work of God. If you're paying attention, if you and I want restoration in our lives, individually and collectively, we've got to have the word of the Lord, and we've got to have an altar. Watch Ezra's prayer in chapter 9, verse 5. At the evening sacrifice, I rose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees, and I spread out my hands to the Lord my God. You got this picture? He's on his face, his knees and his face, his hands spread out. To the Lord my God. And I said, now he's praying, Oh my God, I am ashamed, and I blush to lift up my face to you, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head. And our trespasses grown up unto the heavens. He's not talking about the heathen here. 
He's talking about the children of Israel. These were the people of God. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. They got comfortable in the land of their captivity. They were in bondage and captivity in Babylon, but they were not meant to be comfortable and content there. Yes, they built houses there. Yes, the Lord gave them some blessing there. But they were not meant to get content there and be dwelling there and start taking on the attributes of the Babylonians. But this is exactly what happened. They fell into those lifestyles and those things. And Ezra is now back at the rebuilding of the temple. Why? Because they want the glory of the Lord to come back on the people of God. And here he is, and he's, he's repenting for the people before the Lord. And he said, I'm ashamed to even lift up my face to you because our iniquities are higher than our head. Our trespasses are grown to the heavens. How did this happen? Because they became so comfortable and content in Babylon. Perhaps they even started to look like Babylon. Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass to this day. And for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands. To the sword, to captivity, to a spoil, to confusion of face. Now I want you to notice this beautiful prayer of repentance. Ezra is not saying, oh poor us. I just really got a bad lot in life. These terrible Babylonian kings came in. Where were you, God? How come this happened? Oh, no, he's got true understanding here. He's humbly repenting before the Lord, acknowledging the reason we ended up in this place, God. Our fathers trespassed. Our iniquities, our kings trespassed. Our priests trespassed. We've been delivered into the hands of the kings of the land. We did, this is because of what we've done. This isn't somebody else's fault. I'm not deflecting blame, God. We got comfortable. We opened doors to trespass. We got things in our life that should have never came. We should have left them on the altar. We should have put them there. We should have ended them. We shouldn't have gave them room in our life. That's what brought us to this place. The captivity we've been in. Oh, God, it makes me ashamed to lift my face to you. He was acknowledging the trespasses. Not trying to blame somebody else for them. But watch. Oh, thank God for verse 8. And now. And now. Why now? I'll tell you why now. Because God put it in their spirit. And because they built an altar... And they began restoring the temple where the glory of God would dwell. And now for a little space, grace has been showed. You understand they did not live in the dispensation of grace. But because they were obedient to the Lord, because they put things on the altar, because they began to sacrifice, because their hearts turned back to God and said, we want to build the place where the glory of the Lord meets with us. Because of that, they entered into a dimension they were not meant to live in. But the grace of God was shown to them for a space. Why? He wanted to leave a remnant to escape. He wanted to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. 
For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage. But he hath extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia. Why? To give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. I believe this word from Ezra is prophetic for where we are today. I believe the spirit of the Lord has come to us as a people in this hour. And if we will get things on the altar and say, God, whatever you're asking, I'm laying it there. I just want to see the glory of the Lord restored in the earth. I want all the earth should see your glory. Watch John chapter two. John chapter 2. I'm getting ahead of myself here. we got to hurry, so we finish. Verse 13, I think. So you see this in the Old Testament. John 2 and 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Watch. And he found in the temple... Those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple. And the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers money and overthrew the tables. Now, you see here, Jesus is now in this temple that got built. They rebuilt it, but then over time, oh, it didn't get torn down, but it started getting filled with things that were not meant to be there, and the temple of God turned into a place of routine and ritual. The temple of God turned into a place to check off the religious list, say, I've done my duty, I went, you know, I didn't bring my own dove, but there was some there I could buy that will suffice. I just bought a dove from the, you know, and I got what I needed to go in here. Here's my dove priest, offer the sacrifice. Okay, thanks, I'm good. This, I've done my part. This is what the temple has now become. It's a long ways from where it was when they rebuilt it. And Jesus shows up here. Verse 16, he's, he throw, he's thrown stuff over. The Bible says, the zeal of the Lord, the zeal of thine house had eaten me up. Verse 16, and he said to those that sold doves, take these things hence, don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it, is writ- or that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. They were drawing to memory. The Old Testament psalm that declared this about the Lord. They were seeing it with their own eyes. A temple that was not functioning the way God intended it to function. Oh, it existed. It looked like a temple. It went through the routines of a temple. But what was going on was not glorifying God. Then answered the Jews and said to him, What sign do you show us seeing that you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days 
I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, 46 years was this temple being built. And you're going to rear it up in three days. But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. It's ironic, really. When they destroyed the temple, they didn't even realize what they were doing. Scripture said that had the prince of this world known, he would have never crucified the Lord of glory. But do you understand what just happened from what we've read? To rebuild the temple, you got to start with the altar. And there's got to be a sacrifice on the altar. They thought, we'll destroy him. But what they didn't realize when they were destroying him is they were laying the sacrifice on the altar. In the very thing they thought they were destroying, they were beginning to establish the temple. Man, I don't know what that does for you. And I'm probably not doing justice to this this morning. But when they crucified him, they were laying the offered sacrifice on the altar. And they thought, we've won. But he knew, oh, before the foundations ever laid, the altar's there. And I'm the sacrifice on the altar. You think that you're destroying the temple, but I am ushering in a new testament. I'm ushering in a temple where the glory of the Lord will come and it will abide forever. Man will never be able to destroy it again because I'm becoming the perfect sacrifice. An altar first where sacrifice is offered, but then in less than three days, I'll raise up that which you tore down. They took 46 years building an earthly temple, but I'm going to raise up a temple that man will never destroy. This was the plan of God. And we see it evidenced in Ezra. We see the altar of sacrifice when Christ went to Calvary. I'm telling you, it was the beginning of the temple. When he went to the cross, it was him going to the altar and saying, I'm going to be. He was the living word. The word was restored to Israel when he came. What happened? We see it in John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And the word was made flesh. The word was restored to Israel. And they didn't even realize they were fulfilling the word when they crucified him. But they were doing exactly what Ezra did. They were fulfilling the word by offering sacrifice. And the sacrifice on the altar was the beginning of a temple being raised up that man would never tear down. 
We need this revelation of who he is and what he's done. We need this realization of the price that Christ paid. It was not just checking off a list in scripture. He was saying, no longer will it be an earthly temple that men come and go and do men's routines. Read the book of Hebrews when you have time. But this is a temple that I'll raise up that will be filled with glory and dominion and power. And every tribe and tongue and nation will be gathered to it. The Old Testament prophet declared nations would flow to the mountain of the Lord. Acts chapter 1. Jesus in your name. Jesus in your name. I'm trusting the word to get in our spirit. We need a revelation of who he is. We got to know who he is. We got to know who he is. We got to know what he's done. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Many of you could quote it. He's resurrected from the dead now. He's raised up the temple. They're seeing him. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, watch. Will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now go read the book of Ezra. That's what they were wanting to do. They want a restoration of Israel. And this is exactly where the disciples are. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said, of course you know this. It's not for you to know the times of the season which the Father has put in his own power. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, in the uttermost part of the earth. A temple. A temple. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Watch. Ephesians 2 and 19. We quoted this a few weeks ago. Now, therefore... You are no more strangers and foreigners. But what are you? You are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Verse 20. And (laughs) you are built. What are you built on? You're built on the foundation. What foundation? Oh, it's a foundation of a temple. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. But make no mistake about it. The very one that was offered on the altar, he became the chief cornerstone of the foundation. There's got to be an altar before the foundation. But he became the sacrifice on the altar. And then he became the cornerstone of the foundation. What? Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? What? Do you not know 
that you are the temple of God? You're the temple. You're the temple. Christ dwells in you. That's the hope of glory. You and I are the temple, and we're built up together into a holy habitation of the Lord. That's the temple. And we see the restoration of these things. Please stand with me today. We see the restoration of these things. By the restored word of God, by an altar of sacrifice, and by the foundation of the apostles and prophets in Christ the cornerstone. That's what we're built on. You're not a temple for men to visit and say, wow, what a beautiful temple. That's what the disciples did when they took Jesus to the temple. They were, oh, aren't these, look at these, look at these buildings, Jesus, aren't they? And he said, this temple's coming down. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. They were sightseeing. Really, that's what they were doing. They were taking, oh, look, isn't this, look, oh, they, they, we've all done that. Jesus was like, hold on a minute. He didn't even say, it looks nice, but he just said, this is coming down. Why? For the same reason that Paul declared in Acts on Mars Hill. He's not far from every one of us. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. When you and I get the revelation of the truth of the word of God, Brother Abel, you are the temple of God. His spirit dwells within you. When he baptized you with the Holy Ghost, he said, I'm putting my spirit in the temple. The glory of the Lord coming to the temple. This is the design and the desire of God. It is the restoration of all things. It's the true restoration of all things. We as the church of the living God, we are called in this hour like never before. Like never before. Like never before. And I'm telling you, I believe as sure as Ezra prayed it, it fits where we are. There is a space of grace that's been given to us. And it's an open door, as we've heard prophesied in the week's path. And it's a space of grace given us. It would do us well to examine the temple. It would do us well to... Take inventory of the temple. You know something beautiful about the book of Ezra when you read it? When Babylon, when, when Nebuchadnezzar, when they came in and they, they took captive, the, they stole all the things out of the temple, right? When they came in in Hezekiah's day and they took all the stuff, Hezekiah opened, they saw it all in Hezekiah's day and then afterwards they came and they 
uh, plundered the temple and took everything out of it, all the basins, all the, all the cups, all the, all the knives, the things that were used for sacrifice. There were 29 knives. You can read that. It's, and they took all these things. They took away their ability to sacrifice. That's why they took the knives. And they took all the gold and silver and all the instruments of the temple. You know, it's beautiful when you read the book of Ezra. Babylon stole those things because they thought these are pretty neat. But when they got them, Babylon didn't know what to do with them. They were instruments of the temple. Matter of fact, the one king thought in Daniel, I know, why don't you go get me one of those gold goblets from the Israelites' temple? He thought, I'll, I'll take this which is set aside for God, and I'll use it for my own pleasure. And when he did, the hand of the Lord appeared in the room and began to write upon the wall. and Wrote the words that we've often heard before from Daniel, many, many tickled you farson, which means ultimately you are weighed in the balance and found wanting. And the very same day, the kingdom was taken from him, and the Medes and the Persians came in. And history bears that there was not even a fight that they opened the gate for them, and they walked in and took over. Why? Because they took something that was sacred to God. And so Babylon didn't know what to do with it, so they kept it all there. And when you read in the book of Ezra, when the temple was restored, everything that had been taken so many years before, it was all there. And it was all brought back. God preserved it. Why do I tell you that? Because I believe everything promised to the church. There's nothing the adversary's taken that God cannot restore. Trying to pollute the temple. Hear me. I don't know where the condition of your temple is today. But no matter where. If there's something that's been stolen, God can restore and bring back that which was stolen. And the temple can be brought back to its. It was the writer of Haggai. I think it was Haggai that said, which of you saw this house in her former glory? And he said, the latter house will be greater than the former house. What are you talking about? There's a restoration. The latter house he was talking about wasn't the temple that Ezra built. The latter house he was talking about is this temple, not this building, this temple. Would you talk to the Lord right now about the words that you have heard today and the condition of your temple? Come on, the Spirit of the Lord wants to inhabit His temple. He wants to live in the midst of His people. He wants the temple of God to be a shining testimony to the world in which it is. And he would restore his glory. But you got to have an altar. And you got to know what your foundation is. And you got to let him build the church. And you got to let the glory of the Lord inhabit the temple. And he'll not share his glory with another. So there's got to be some things purged out of the temple. Lord, I open my spirit to you today. I open my heart to you today. Oh, God, examine every area. Let me lay everything on the altar before you that the glory of the Lord would fill the temple and that the earth would see your glory, that men would be drawn to you. This altar's open to you today. Would 
you lay some things on the altar? If the Holy Ghost has quickened something in your spirit, could we lay it upon the altar before the Lord? Say, I want a holy temple. I want a holy temple. I want a holy temple. And so I lay these things on the altar that every promised gift of God would come and dwell in the temple. Mira, <laughs> Santo, riemo, no 